Hey guys, this is David Shore for Corruption and Child Protective Services. And as promised, I am going to read something from the Federalist Papers, the book that says the ideas that forged the American Constitution says selected essays edited and introduced by R.B. Bernstein. So, it is title of it is an address to the people of the state of New York introduction and it reads prevented by illness from contributing more than five essays to the Federalist John Jay was committed to helping secure the Constitution's ratification in the spring of 1788 he published an address to the people of the state of New York This pamphlet, longer than all of Jay's Federalist essays combined, addressed the general political situation in which the ratification struggle was unfolding, defining a fallback position for themselves the Constitution's opponents conceded that the Constitution had some merit but argued that its defects required correction by a second general convention. Refuting this argument, Jay's pamphlet demonstrated that it would be neither useful nor productive to call such a second convention. Jay also stressed paralleling arguments by Benjamin Franklin in his last speech to the convention on 17 September 1787 that the Constitution before the people was likely to be the best that could be framed and that whatever defects it contained could be corrected by use of the Constitution's amending process. George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and other supporters of the Constitution praised Jay's pamphlet and others testified that it was perhaps the most persuasive pro-Constitution publication. Hamilton referred to it as, quote, an excellent little pamphlet lately published in this city, unquote, in the Federalist number 85. So the amendment process is what they were referring to, where we could amend laws, we could amend the Constitution, and many of them would like to amend certain parts of the Constitution. But you're finding out that amending the Constitution is not so easy because you have to have a majority. Now, unfortunately, you can't get two people in Washington to agree on anything, let alone amending a document that, to be quite honest, it's been doing good so far. But yes, does it need to be amended certain parts, yes. Well, let's get on this. John Jay, an address to the people of the state of New York on the subject of the Constitution agreed upon at Philadelphia the 17th of September, 1787. Friends and fellow citizens, there are times and seasons when general evils spread general alarm and uneasiness and yet arise from causes too complicated and too little understood by many to produce a unanimity 
of opinions respecting their remedies. Hence, it is that on such occasions, the conflict of arguments too often excites a conflict of passions and introduces a degree of discord and animosity, which, by agitating the public's public mind, dispose it to precipitation and extravagance. They who on the ocean have been unexpectedly enveloped with tempests or suddenly entangled among rocks and shoals know the value of that serene self-possession and presence of mind to which in such cases they owed their preservation now will the heroes who have given us victory and peace hesitate to acknowledge that we are as much indebted for those blessings to the calm provision and cool intrepidity which planned and conducted our military measures as to the glowing animation with which they were executed. So far it looks like they were highly educated men but also wrote in a way that the average person would be going, what are you referring to? If you look like the old RCA dog in front of the megaphone with his head cocked to the side going, huh? Let me continue. Trust me. When you hear more, you'll understand that this document, the Constitution, was written for everyone. Even though that at the time there were certain individuals and you might as well I might as well get straight out black people that were not considered human. But it doesn't say in there white. Over time, we finally realized that the Constitution is for everyone. Or it's for no one. Continuing. While reason retains her rule... While men are as ready to receive as to give advice and as willing to be convinced themselves as to convince others, there are few political evils from which a free and enlightened people cannot deliver themselves. It is unquestionably true that the great body of the people love their country and with it prosperity. And this observation is particularly applicable to the people of a free country, for they have more and stronger reasons for loving it than others. It is not, therefore, to vicious motives that the unhappy divisions which sometimes prevail among them are to be imputed. The people at large always mean well. And although they may on, and you'll have to excuse me, it's a new book. If you know anything about new books, you know that sometimes they get a little stiff. Certain occasion be misled by the councils or injured by the efforts of the few who expect more advantage from the wreck 
them from the preservation of national prosperity. Yet the motives of these few are by no means to be confounded with those of the community in general. So back then they considered the country a community. They considered it, you know, like a neighborhood. That everyone had an equal share of the pie. But you got to remember the times that these were. They spoke in a way so that it would appear that everyone is equal, that everyone is being treated. It was a republic that the people decided, not the politicians. It was the people. You notice how he said community. He didn't say Congress. He said community. What's a community? A bunch of people. And they voted. After a while, they used representatives. But let's continue. That such seeds of discord and danger have been disseminated and begin to take root in America as, unless eradicated, will soon poison our gardens and our fields is a truth much to be lamented. And the more so as their growth rapidly increases while we are wasting the season in honestly but imprudently disputing. Not whether they shall be pulled up, but by whom, in what manner, and with what instruments the work shall be done. When the king of Great Britain, misguided by men who did not merit his confidence, asserted the unjust claim of binding us in all cases whatsoever, and prepared to obtain our submission by force, the object which engrossed our attention, however important, was nevertheless plain and simple. Quote, what shall be done, unquote, was the question. The people answered, quote, let us unite our councils and our arms, unquote. They sent delegates to Congress and soldiers to the field, confiding in the pro- probity and wisdom of Congress. They received their recommendations as if they had been laws, and they ready acquiescence in their advice enabled those patriots to save their country. Then there was little leisure or disposition for controversy respecting the expediency of measures. Hostile fleets soon filled our ports, and hostile armies spread dissolution on our shores. Union was then considered as the most essential of human means, and we almost worshipped it with as much fervor as pagans in distress implored the protection of their tutelar deities. That union was the child of wisdom. Heaven blessed it and wrought out our political salvation. So, It sounds like, just reading this, it sounds like Great Britain says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to be like this. 
we're not going to give up that money, that taxation. We're going to fight you and we're going to win. Well, as you know, our Constitution is a document that it has, like, the first ten are all about laws and justice and what the government can and cannot do. Now, it states that glorious war was succeeded by an advantageous peace. When danger disappeared, ease, tranquility, and a sense of security loosened the bonds of union, and Congress and soldiers and good faith depreciated with their apparent importance. Recommendations lost their influence, and requisitions were rendered negatory. Negatory. I don't know what that means. I'll have to look that up for you folks. Not by their want of propriety, but by their want of power. The spirit of private gain expelled the spirit of public good, and men became more intent on the means of enriching and aggrandizing themselves than of enriching and aggrandizing their country. Hence the war-worn veteran whose reward for toil and wounds existed in written promises found Congress without the means and too many states without the disposition to do him justice. Hard necessity compelled him and others under similar circumstances to sell their honest claims on the public for a little bread and thus unmerited misfortunes and patriotic distresses became articles for speculation and commerce. So the people, they had representatives, but there started to become a discourse. It sounded like people could work, but it sounds like the government started pumping themselves up while the people suffered. Sounds a lot like what's going on now. These and many other evils... Two, well known to require enumeration and perceptibly stole in upon us and acquired an unhappy influence on our public affairs. But such evils, like the worst of weeds, will naturally spring up in so rich a soil, and a good government is as necessary to subdue the one as as an attentive gardener or husbandman is to destroy the other. Even the garden of paradise required to be dressed, and while men continue to be constantly impelled to error and to wrong by innumerable circumstances and temptations, so long will society experience the increasing necessity of government. So even back then, the more that people want, the more the go- more government will happen. This is back in 1787. This is not 1987. 
not even 1887. This is back then. And this last part. So long will society experience the increasing necessity of government. Necessity. Now, does that mean they wanted a bigger government, smaller government? All they said was, all he said was, so long will society experience the increasing necessity of government. So back then they knew they needed government to rule, to take care of things. That government would step in. How little did they know that some would take that literal, I mean quite literal. It is a pity that the expectations which actuated the authors of the existing confederation neither have nor can be realized. Accustomed to see and admire the glorious spirit which moved all ranks of people in the most gloomy moments of the war, observing their steadfast attachment to union and the wisdom they so often manifested both in choosing and confiding in their rulers, these gentlemen were led to flatter themselves that the people of America only required to know what ought to be done to do it. This amenable mistake induced them to institute a national government in such a manner as, though very fit to give advice, was very destitute of power and so constructed as to be very unfit to be trusted with it. They seem not to have been sensible that mere advice is a bad substitute for laws, nor to have recollected that the advice even of the all-wise and best of beings has been always disregarded by a great majority of all the men that ever lived. Experience is a severe preceptor, but it teaches useful truths. And however harsh, is always honest. Be calm and dispassionate and listen to what it tells us. Prior to the revolution, we had little occasion to inquire or know much about national affairs. For although they existed and were managed, yet they were managed for us and not by us. Intent on our domestic concerns, our internal legislative business, our our agriculture, and our buying and selling, we were seldom anxious about what passed or was, was doing in foreign courts. As we had nothing to do with the Department of Policy, so the affairs of it were not detailed to us. And we took a little, as little pains to inform ourselves as others did to inform us of them. War and peace, alliances and treaties, and commerce and navigation were conducted and regulated without our advice or control. 
So what they're talking about is this Constitution is nothing more and nothing less than what we wanted. We wanted to know how commerce is done. We wanted to know what treaties were going to be made. We wanted to know what agreements were done. This is what we wanted. This is what we fought for. This is the Constitution in a nutshell. It tells us what we're allowed to have, what we're allowed to do, how things are going to be done, and we hold our politicians accountable. In that little part that I read is a little bit of the taste of what the Constitution says. Now, now the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition a government for redress of grievances. Before this, you couldn't do that to Britain. If you questioned or anything, it appears they threw you in prison. And maybe you might get uh, due process. Now, I had mentioned before about the 25th Amendment. So, I'm going to go to that part right now. I will come back to this. But, here's the 25th Amendment. Section 4. And I will reread this. This is on the 25th Amendment. Everyone's talking about it, so let's get right into this, shall we? Section 4. Whenever the Vice President and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the President pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the President is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the Vice President shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office of acting president. Let me repeat that again. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives the written declaration that the President is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the Vice President shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting President. Now, I think you pretty much get that. Now, during the Trump administration, and he's the favorite whipping child, they're trying to make sure he can't run again. But did you know that before 
Mike Pence became the vice president. He was the governor of Indiana. He did not have a glowing... Uh, he... I, I was in Indiana and this state was in bad shape under him. And the area... One of the areas happened to be... Now, Joe Kernan was the acting governor because the previous governor... O'Bannon had passed away. He sent money here to the South Bend, St. Joseph County area for businesses. Joe Kernan, uh, we call him Mayor Joe because he was the mayor of South Bend. He said, okay, I'm going to continue having the money go there. Pence, as soon as he, there was Mitch Daniels who made sure the money didn't go there, and Pence continued that. The, I mean, in the 90s, we could find jobs anywhere. As soon as Mitch Daniels got in, all that changed. Those that were in Elkhart, because Elkhart County... You could quit one job and start another. Even in South Bend. I worked at many places. Now, if you want to know the truth of Mike Pence, I will tell you. Because... Now, according to this... Pence tells Gridiron Dinner history will hold Trump accountable for January 6th. Pence warns renewed Iran deal would pave path to nuclear weapon and gold for regime. He was not was not a very good uh, governor. At one moment. Okay, I do apologize. Now, Indiana Dems, Indiana Democratic Party, if you go to their site, it says Mike Pence is so unpopular that even Hoosier Republicans want him out as governor. And it says, how much does the Indiana Republican Party and the officials want Mike Pence out as governor? So bad that state house Republicans and members of the congressional delegation are publicly lining up for the race to replace out of touch Governor Mike Pence. This is back when he was running as his running running mate. Now, Pence's history of managing HIV crisis in Indiana under scrutiny now. This is from CNN.com. Roll call. www.rollcall.com Mike Pence, a meteoric rise, but a controversial political pass. October 9th, 2016. And he's the one that wants to run for President of the United States. Now, remember what I read here in Section 4. Whenever the Vice President 
and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives the written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office of acting president. So, this is Mike Pence. This is the guy that is going to run for president in 2024. Folks, if any of you just check anything on Mike Pence, just Google Mike Pence and critics say GOP VP nominee track record as Indiana governor is troubling. And it is as Republican president. You see, they're talking about uh, Trump and uh, should replace him. A pen should replace him. Get this. But because Trump has continued to dominate the spotlight, many of the controversies Pence encountered during his first term as governor have gone largely undiscussed. Now, only did surveys conducted earlier this year show that Pence's job approval rating had fallen significantly from the early days of his governorship, but support from Hoosier Republicans had dwindled as well. Now, remember, this is back in 2016, October 9th, 2016, during the 2016 election. Just four months ago, he was facing significant criticism from within his own party in a tough re-election battle that some insiders and pundits contend he would have lost. Pence struggled to achieve positive name recognition at a national level, as most non-Hoosiers either weren't familiar with his gubernatorial record or only heard his name when he made headlines from signing what many believed to be anti-LGBT legislation. Now he's the first choice of many prominent Republicans to become the next president of the United States and will likely be a top contender for the party's nomination in the next election cycle should Democrats maintain control of the White House on November 8th. Now, it says, but because Trump has continued to dominate the spotlight, many of the controversies Pence encountered during his first term as governor have gone largely undiscussed once again. Now, Mark Lauder, Pence's press secretary, dismissed the claims that the governor's recent success nationally could be attributed to Trump's contentious remarks and ability to dominate the news cycle. Now, they have a part this discriminatory act. Pence made national headlines in early 2015 when he signed into law the Religious Freedom Restoration Act which limited the legal actions that could be taken against an individual or business for asserting their religious beliefs. The law sparked widespread outrage. Opponents contended that it would give license to religious conservatives to review service to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals. In response, several major events and corporations 
including Salesforce.com, the NCAA, and the gaming convention Gen Con threatened to limit business ventures in the state or boycott it altogether. Pence adamantly defended the RFRA legislation and refused to say whether it allowed for discrimination, which led to extensive questioning of underlying motives. Okay, an overlooked past. Pence's past has been overlooked due to one simple reason. According to Robert Schmuel, S-C-H-M-U-H-L, a professor of American Studies and Journalism at the University of Notre Dame. Quote, Donald Trump sucks the oxygen out of any environment in which he is breathing. Unquote. Quote, all one has to do is look at the coverage of the campaign and quite frankly, Trump is always in the top position and gets an inordinate amount of attention, Schmuel said. By running for vice president, Pence has been able to hurdle the problems he would have faced here in Indiana and present himself to the country as the calm, well-spoken running mate to the often outrageous standard-bearer. Pence raised eyebrows once more in 2015 after the Indianapolis Star discovered his intentions to create a news bureau called Just In, I-N, overseen by his administration and to hire a managing editor to assist in the production of news stories. Despite quickly abandoning the plan, Pence's project set the media world ablaze and drew comparison to government-backed news outlets in communist countries. This is just a little bit of what a Mike Pence administration would be. Now, as bad as Donald Trump is, as bad as Joe Biden currently is, Mike Pence would be worse. Just hearing these things, we're starting to understand the truth, the reality. And that's the problem. We have a document here, the Constitution. Bet you didn't know that it was the Vice President who starts this whole thing. But now that you do, can you trust Mike Pence? Can you trust any vice president right now? Can you... Who was the vice president under Bill Clinton? Al Gore. Remember he went... How Bill Clinton went under impeachment. Do you remember that? Al Gore. And... And I'm a... And one of the majority leaders of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide. So in other words, whoever the vice president is, they're the ones that bring this up. And Mike Pence wants to run for president? Check Mike Pence's record. I'll guarantee you, you're going to look and go, we want this guy as president? Now, the, the the one bill that he sponsored, the Religious Freedom Act, Restoring the Religious Freedom Act, 
I have to say. Just give the person an opportunity whether or not they actually want to serve someone or just put a sign. We have the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason. That's legal. It was always the case with me growing up. And the Constitution, you know, gives people that right. Know your Constitution. Read it. Find out what it actually says. Because if you can find out, like the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the secure security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, they actually have two parts here, and it was proposed in 1789 and ratified in 1791. The first part is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. It says that. That means our military. Now, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That means that if you want to have a pistol, you want to have a rifle, whatever. Now, they can amend that to state that automatic weapons is reserved for the military. Now, as for high like for magazines and stuff. Since I don't own firearms, I can't answer. Okay? I'll be honest. But I will say this. Once again, know your constitution. Because here's one that says, and Department of Child Services loves violating this this amendment. It's the Fourth Amendment. I want to read it very carefully because according to our Supreme Court, you know, they have exigent circumstances, yet there's nothing in here in the Constitution that says anything about exigent circumstances. In fact, there's a part, and I'll be getting to it in a minute, but let's go to the Fourth Amendment. The right of the people to be secured in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. It's a part that DCS or CPS or whatever they want to call wants you to ignore. And particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons and the persons or things to be seized. In other words, a clear-cut violation, but we've got a politician that says, okay, we're going to write in a law whereby, hey, you have a right. You can use exigent circumstances. And you've heard their exigent circumstances. In other words, don't, don't let them, don't let them, let the parents talk to the kids. Don't let the kids talk to their parents because then all of a sudden they can't take your kids. This, in a nutshell, is a constitution. And you should really read it. Now, let's see. 
Here it is, the 14th Amendment. Section 1. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Let me repeat that for those that say our immigration laws are unconstitutional. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state where they reside. So in other words, you're either born or you're naturalized. That means you go through the immigration process. There's no gray area. There's no you get here and you're a U.S. citizen. If you're not born or naturalized here, you're not a citizen. It's this other part that CPS does not like. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or anything. They have they give you the same law that anyone else. They have to put it right down the line. But you know that they don't like they won't do that. If you don't have the money, there's two types of laws. There's a laws for the wealthy and then there's laws for everyone else. You've seen it. I've told you about celebrities who got a slap on the freaking wrist. But if it was anybody else, oh no, you had, you, you know, CPS just loves taking kids. But hey, if you're a celebrity, oh, that's perfectly all right. Do you have a family member that uh, your child can go to or children can go to? So much for playing right down the middle. But hey, you know how it goes. So, folks, do you really know the Constitution? Do you know the stories behind the Constitution? Do you know how this document came about? And more more importantly, if you state something, like you want to exercise your freedom of speech, If um, you get a group that wants to have more rights than other groups, see if it passes constitutional muster. And if it doesn't, learn the Constitution and say, according to this amendment here, you can't do that. Or this amendment here gives me the right. And they should point it out. And look at the Federalist Papers. Don't just gloss over them. Read them. In my next episode, I'm going to go over some of the Federalist Papers, how they're written. And let you decide. Because the Federalist Papers, they're what started this Constitution. When it was ratified, when every amendment was ratified past it had to it had to be the agreement and unfortunately I believe our leaders have gotten away from that so 
This is David Shore for Corruption Terrible Protective Services. Keep your head down. Keep moving forward. And once again, for those that are yelling about the immigration laws, the 14th Amendment, it says right in there, all persons born or naturalized, the first five words in Section 1 says it there. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. And no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. So... Really read your constitution. Learn it. To see how many laws are unconstitutional. And use the constitution. Find cases. And I'll guarantee you. If nothing else. They'll see that you know the laws. And <laughs> they're not going to mess with you. Because if you know the constitution. You're ahead of the rest. Keep your head down. And keep moving forward.